This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name is Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. In the last episode, we talked about recruiting top talent with Matt Schwartz. If you missed that episode, make sure to go back and check that out. And in this episode, we are going to talk about how to take action on what you're learning. If you've been following the podcast since the beginning, you have heard us say over and over again, we honor you for listening to the show, for consuming content. Yet the greatest results come when you take action. What's amazing to us is how you can read the one thing, you can listen to this podcast, yet week after week, you struggle to take action. If this is you, you are so not alone. What you're gonna learn today is that there is a reason that most of us struggle to take action and it comes down to accountability. So with that, let's get into this conversation with Demir and Carrie Bentley. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. I'm curious, how long ago was it that the two of you were introduced to the idea of the one thing? Wow. It was and about three years ago. For you? I think I think it was longer for me. I think yeah. I'd already read the book. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Aw, snap. I know. We, here we go, <laughs> marital problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, three years ago was when I first listened to the book on audio book, which was the first time I had consumed the information. Okay. And, and what did your professional lives look like at that time? Yeah, it looked very different, actually. Um, So I was working for a big company in brand management. So I was uh, running, you know, big brands and developing new products. And Demir was consulting. Is that right? Yeah, I had a technology startup called Montage, which was a top 10 iTunes photo and video app that most people haven't heard of, but maybe one in a hundred people will say, well, I, I think I saw that. Um, so it was a not successful startup in technology. And we met, <laughs> we met uh, in the unlikeliest of scenarios. Uh, we actually did a partnership with her company and she was my boss. Yeah. And I liked that position so much that I made it permanent. <laughs> <laughs> That's the story of how we met. <laughs> but that yeah, is actually, awesome. What was funny is we, because we both have uh, work-related illnesses, we decided to take a different direction with our careers because quite frankly, I was working insane hours and just wasn't getting the kind of feedback that I wanted in my career. And so we were like, what can we do to redesign our life? And so that's what we talk a little bit about in our intro. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to go into the, what does it mean to have a work-related illness? Yeah. So, well, I mean, 
like to share with you all the details. I have ulcerative colitis, which I've had since I was little. And it's something that you're born with. Usually it's something that's not curable, but stress and overworking dramatically accelerates, like basically its impact on your life. So I was starting to have weeks where I couldn't leave my bed, just like completely out of it. My quality of life was so low. I was losing a ton of weight, all that sort of stuff. And it was getting really serious because, you know, it, it can kill you. It's, it doesn't usually kill somebody, but it has the potential to just, you know, severely limit your quality of life. So then Demir has one as well. Yeah. And mine is for some reason, like a mystery illness. But when I get extremely stressed, my stomach decides to stop digesting food and I have to go to the hospital. It's something that hasn't been fully diagnosed, but I've had four surgeries related to it. So you've had a hernia on like all sorts of stuff, right? I mean, all sorts of stress related stuff. So basically, if you want to sum it up, uh, we're basically that kind of couple that our brain wanted us to just keep working harder and harder. You know, that kind of overworking couple where we're just push through it, get gritty. And uh, our body was like, nope, I don't think so. Mm. See, this is one of those interesting things where I think so many of us just endure this stress and we don't think anything of it because there's no instant feedback loop from our body, yet you look at over decades of what that does to you. Not not so good. You guys actually have stress-induced illnesses. You look up and realize you need to make a change. There's a lot of people who are listening to this who know they need to make a change, but they don't know what to do. What did that look like for you guys? Yeah, exactly. And I think for us, it, it really made us realize that we need to we needed to redesign our life with a blank slate because we had to start with our health first and our relationship to each other first, and everything else became secondary to that. Which a lot of people say, right? A lot of people will offer lip service to that and then go right out and, and not do it. But the truth is we were blessed that our bodies sort of like forced us to do that. And so one of the things we joke about is if life is like a Rubik's cube, we were only solving the career side by cannibalizing every other side, our marriage, our health, our friends and family. So when we hit bottom, we sort of made this vow to each other. We said, we're going to design a life, whatever that means, we're designing a life that are, that's optimizing for all six sides of the Rubik's cube. And you know, a life that had to work on every level at once. Mm. I imagine, you know, if, if, if I had to go to my wife and say, we've, I've got to make a change or, you know, if, if you're married and, and your, your partner works, okay, one person's going to make the change. Can we, can the other person float it? Can you make it work financially? Both of you had to make the change. Was that a scary period? Actually, yeah, it's a great question that most people don't ask. But that at that time, I felt really bad about myself, particularly because I had uh, spent, I'd made a ton of money on Wall Street. I put it all into a startup that had failed. Uh, and I was, you know, 35 years old, moving in with my then girlfriend and feeling pretty bad about myself. And then also faced with this idea of restructuring my life so that it put my health first. And so at that point, when money is breathing down your neck, saying, you've got to make money, you've got to make money, to then make a commitment that it's not about money, that we've got to build everything at the same time, was, you know, you could say stupid, but I, I'd say ballsy. <laughs> but but it was it was terrifying at the time. But we were, you know, we were in love, and <laughs> we felt like we could do anything as long as we were together. And so that sounds really corny, but the truth was that at the time, 
you know, and still we, we feel that way. And so we were able to just say, Hey, listen, whatever the consequences, this is how it's going to be. Yeah. And also we were looking ahead at the next couple of years of our life and we just did not want it to look the same as the last couple of years of mm. our life. And so we closed off those back doors, um, in order for us to just move forward. We did burn some bridges, didn't we? <laughs> yes. Well, I think what I, what, what's really inspiring about what we've talked about so far is you took what I would classify some significant adversity, it became a great opportunity for you, for you to look up and say, this is not a choice. This is not a, ooh, wouldn't it be nice if we could design a life this way? You were forced to. You were, you were forced to design it that way. What happened when you started asking those questions around, all right, how do we design a life that will allow us to not only thrive professionally, but also thrive spiritually, financially, emotionally, physically. Yeah. So this is probably a good time for us to skip ahead to the present and sort of tell people who are listening that, you know, today our life looks so dramatically different. Um, we're living one of those lives that frankly, it's hard to tell people about because they, they sort of hate us when they hear about it. But the truth is, is that we've got this amazing business that we, we run from the internet so we can be anywhere in the world. And we take advantage of that by renting an apartment in a different country every other month. And um, we're making way more money than we did in corporate jobs. And we actually take tr track a time tracker of our time every week. So we know we're working exactly 31.5 hours per week on average. And so we're working less, we're making more, and we're living a life that a, a lot of people really are quite jealous of. And in fact, we're sort of surprised a lot of times we're living like this. So I, I fast forwarded there, Jeff, to sort of say, okay, so we went from being in a really precarious position. And now we're in this amazing position. And a lot of times people will look from the outside and say, gosh, you guys are doing everything. How do you do it all? We get that question all the time. How do you do it all? And it really was by living the one thing methodology religiously. I mean, that's the, that's the God honest truth. Mm -hmm. So what did that look like for you guys? When we first were launching our company, it really looked like focusing in on the one thing that we could do to just get a product on the market. And everybody was telling us, oh, you got to do all these 10 things. You got to be on all these social media platforms and do all this stuff. And we were kind of like, you know what? We can't do everything. And when times get tough, like we believe in the one thing methodology so much, we almost have this faith in it that even though we can't see where it's going to take us yet, we just know that we need to double down on the methodology even more. Yeah. If there's anything I would say that as somebody, I would, I would call us, and I hope that we're not bragging here to say that we're super advanced adherence to the one thing methodology. And I would say if there's anything that marks the difference between somebody who's super dedicated to it and somebody who just sort of enjoys it and, and uses it at a surface level, it's faith. And meaning not like religious faith in God, but it's, it's faith meaning there's times in life where every single piece of evidence that you can perceive is telling you that there's not one thing that can achieve all of the outcomes that you're looking for. And in those times, instead of abandoning the one thing and then doing 10 things, we actually double down. We say, no, it, it's there. We just don't see it yet. And we need to find it. And so, for example, when we started our business, um, people said, you're going to train, you're going to train people in productivity. Great. You have to go live. You have to be live. You have to be in a room. I said, no, that doesn't work for our health and our lifestyle that we want to live. We're going to train online. And at the time, people were saying, you can't do it, you can't do it. And even the technology wasn't really developed enough at the time to do it. We said, no, we're going to be the best in the world at training people online. And that's because we, we had to create a business that worked for our health, 
and it worked for our marriage, and it worked for our lifestyle. And so we held that constant. When we refused to budge, and we decided to be the best in the world at that one thing. And so when we were creating it, you know, really even in the inception of our business was the one thing. Mm, oh my gosh, I got so many things I want to just unload right now. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll narrow it to two. Not one, two. <laughs> the, the, just, just to buck the trend. First is something that Gary Keller said within the last two weeks, which is if you want to live an extraordinary life, it requires that you master something. And it only has to be one thing. I'm hearing what you guys said is we wanted to be the best in the world at online training. And you narrowed your focus down to that. And you've been going on a road to mastering that. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Cool. Number two, what you talk about where, where people go wrong is what we talk about if we're ever speaking at a corporation we talk about the idea of the domino effect, how if you line up your dominoes and if you do one thing, the right thing, it topples over many things. The challenge is people do not trust the domino effect, like you called it faith. They do not trust and believe that if they just wake up every single day and develop the habit of doing their most important priorities first, not to say that they don't check email, not to say that they don't get distracted. They just develop the habit of doing their most important priorities first, that everything else will be easier or unnecessary. And it, it sounds so simple in theory, but I got challenged with it this last week where Jay and I spent an hour together reviewing like, oh my gosh, there's all this temptation that will take us away from doing the right thing. But th like, that's why people fall off the bandwagon. It's why they don't get extraordinary results in their life. They deviate from the domino effect. Exactly. Yeah. And we just, we just experienced this ourselves, honestly, because as you start succeeding more and more, a lot more opportunities come your way, which mm -hmm. is great. But that's almost a signal to us of like, okay, if we have this many priorities, we get to say no to some of these great opportunities or, or not now because we know that they are just red herrings and they're going to end up making us a little bit good at a lot of things. And that's not what we want. And in fact, um, Cal Newport echoes this as well in his book, Deep Work, an incredible book. And he talks about how because of all these distractions in our economy today, right? It's not, it's not just people who are entrepreneurs. It's literally everybody. Mm -hmm. We're experiencing digital dementia, digital, digital addiction, it overwhelm at massive levels. And he, what he posits is that actually the number one thing we should be getting good at is focus and a, a deep level of focus to do an incredible amount of work and become masters at one thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You nailed it. Well, you know, the thing is, just to add to that, we're, we're living in this winner-take-all economy. And, and by that, all I mean is it used to be the fact that we could do a decent job and get decent results. Do a good job, get good results. Excellent job, get excellent results. But today's economy, decent, decent performance, being a good at something or okay at something gets you really crappy results. It gets you crappy pay, crappy lifestyle, and all the way up the chain because what's happening is – that all the rewards are flooding up to the top 1%. If you're, I mean, the one thing is, I think, a productivity Bible. If you wrote a book that's second, third, fourth to the one thing, are you getting the same kind of results? No, you're not, right? Because the consumer can click and research their way into the very finest of anything, whether it's the finest realtor or the finest book or the finest course. And so if you aren't absolutely outstanding 
today's economy is not going to reward you what you think that you deserve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, <laughs> a lot of evidence to back that up. Here, here's what I'm curious about. You've gone on a road to mastering online education. When we had our initial conversation, you said something that struck a chord with me, which is the idea of helping people convert knowledge into action. If anybody has been following us since the beginning, the number of times that I have said, awesome that you consume the content. Consuming content is great, yet the results come when you take action. They can't even count how many times that's been said, yet they still don't do it. Right. (laughs) Yes. We absolutely face this as well. It's something that we flagged really early on in in our training program. And so that's actually what has driven us to become obsessed with this problem of converting knowledge into action. Um, Because like you said, the knowledge is out there and it's all such great stuff. And you're able to get these amazing courses now where you learn subjects in just eight weeks, what took someone a decade to learn. But it's just not working. People aren't turning knowledge into action. And the way we think about it is it's this kind of faulty model of education that we've all been raised with. Um, The classroom model, right? We've experienced this from grade school you sit in front of a teacher, you passively learn the subject, you know, you take the test and then you just forget about everything right afterwards. Yeah, but obviously when you think about the most valuable things in life, most of them, not all of them, but most of them are experiential. Like let me give you an example. Take leadership, right? You could read every book on Gandhi, read every book on Martin Luther King Jr. and still be a terrible leader, right? <laughs> um, and it's the same with pro sports, right? You can read every book on basketball and and know all of the physics of basketball, and then you go out to take a jump shot and miss it every single time, right? And the list goes on and on and on. And so it turns out that productivity and performance is smack in the middle of that category. So when people go and try to take a performance or productivity course, a lot of times they're approaching it with that mindset of, of a student, right? I'm just going to absorb it like learning a math like learning something in math. Once I know it, I know it and I can use it all the time. But what happens then is we get the sort of fraudster feeling and I've had it myself. So everybody's experienced it where you know exactly how to do something and you're still not doing it. Why is that? Yeah. So the reason is because you haven't appreciated that you did, that you learned it intellectually through a didactic model, but you, you don't, you're still at zero experientially, right? You're, you're totally at zero experientially. Yeah. And so what we do in our program, but what you, you know, we don't have a, a corner on the market here, but what we do in our program is we've analyzed the models for how to actually create that discipline and, and actually perform that repetition and practice that it takes to turn something automatic. So really at the end of the day, all you need to turn knowledge into action is discipline. And unfortunately, that's something we're in extremely short supply of. Well, yeah, and then this is one of, this is where I'm just going to push. In the book, we say that dis- a disciplined life is one of the lies. People often tell themselves the story that if they are just disciplined enough, they can have everything they want. Yet it's not about being disciplined to doing the action. It's about being disciplined to do the action until it becomes a habit. Yeah, yeah, bingo. Exactly. You nailed exactly. it. And, and we differentiate that a little bit too. It's not just about performing the action over and over again, right? Like, for example, you could type for decades, but not improve your typing speed because you're not taking the type of disciplined action that actually makes you better at something. It needs to be purposeful. You need to start taking a more of a testing and learning approach where you're really going after that improvement element 
then you're analyzing your results and, and continually getting better. Yeah, neuroscientist Carol Dweck calls this effortful, intentional practice where you're looking for the things that you're bad at and you're measuring progress towards improvement. So let's make this applicable for people because we, we all know we're all thirsty for, for knowledge. We're high achievers. We're constantly sharpening that saw, yet that there is absolutely a massive gap between the knowledge that comes into our mind and how it ends up showing up through our actions. What are some things people can do so that that gap gets shortened? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the, the biggest hack we have for shortening that gap is by leveraging accountability. And I think people bandy the word accountability around a lot, but we found that it is a super hack actually for creating that kind of, you know, conversion from knowledge into action. But but just to be clear, you know, as we've been spending years really looking into accountability that works and accountability that does, I want to be super clear that most of the accountability structures that we look at don't actually succeed. And so what we've been spending a lot of time is to say, okay, well, so accountability is great, but why is some accountability working massively to help people create discipline in their life and turn things into habits? And why is some completely failing? And so what we observed is something, and we sort of gave it a name, we called it layered accountability. What is that? Layered accountability is sort of what we've noticed is actually instead of just there being one type of accountability in somebody's life, when we notice that somebody's pushing themselves beyond, way beyond, far beyond their comfort level and experiencing growth that they never thought they could have, there's typically two of four layers or even four of the four layers that we're about to talk about. So the first layer is? Yeah. So the first layer is a coach or a boss or a mentor or a leader of some sort, someone with power over you so that they can create a space of elevated expectations. Mm -hmm, yeah. So they're responsible for raising the bar so that your average performance is no longer acceptable. And that's kind of the first layer, someone who sets the tone, raises the bar. And really, I'd encourage you to think about the last time you accomplished something extraordinary. And usually you'll find someone like this in your life. Yeah. Like, you know, we've talked to people who, and we've asked people who are suffering from, from lack of performance. We say, have you ever experienced top level performance before in your life? And surprisingly, a lot of them say, yeah, absolutely. And so we go back and we say, okay, what was different at that point in your life versus this point? And a lot of times they'll still point to these layers. And certainly one of the most common things is that they had somebody like a coach, a boss, a mentor, somebody who was a bar raiser in their life. So that's the first layer you're giving power or they naturally have power over you to somebody who's a bar raiser. Yeah. And the second layer is personally my favorite. Mm -hmm. And it's having a team of people around you who you respect who are in the same boat as you. They're, they're reaching towards similar goals. These are people you know, at your level, maybe even higher than your level. And teams are at the best when you just really respect the people on that team. When the, res the respect is truly there, then you're highly motivated. And when they offer feedback or support to you, it actually really means something. Yeah, but the best part, I think, about that second layer of the team layer is competition. Because let's be honest, you can make all the excuses you want in the world for why you're not getting results. But when you're in a team where somebody else is getting that result, there's absolutely no excuse. All of your back doors and excuses are completely closed. And a quick funny story, we had a CEO on one of our teams. He was a CEO, right? Really badass guy. And he would not stop complaining about how he could not do what we were asking him to do. It just wasn't possible. And then this lower level executive, very lower level, who suffered from ADHD, started blowing him and everybody else in the water. And we didn't actually even have to say a thing. We didn't have to lecture him. We didn't have to come down on him. 
he just saw someone who he perceived as less talented than him blowing him out of the water. And immediately he just started doing it. So competition is good. Mm, I love it. <laughs> so, so those are the first two, right? Having a coach, mentor, or boss that establishes the atmosphere of elevated expectations. And the second is really the community, the team of people around you that's reaching toward a similar goal. Exactly. And then there's two more layers. Uh, the third layer is having a buddy. So this is a one-on-one relationship. This is somebody who's responsible for you and you get to be responsible for them as well. And um, this is actually something that the U.S. military has really mastered because it's so powerful, so powerful when one person is actually responsible for another person. It's literally sink or swim. And that personal obligation really enforces them staying in the game no matter what. Yeah, but a quick warning on this one. <laughs> so this, here's where you can really screw this layer up. A lot of people try to do this with their best friend, and that's a big mistake. And we found that your best friend is actually usually a terrible accountability buddy for you because here's the, here's the problem. Best friends, when push comes to shove, they are not going to call you on your BS when you're making excuses because the friendship's on the line, right? Because if you get too hard on that person, you might lose the friendship. So what you want is somebody you respect, but who's far enough away from you that they can call you on your BS without the friendship being on the line, right? And a lot of people make that good mistake. So, you know, if you want me to put in a sentence, a great buddy is somebody who's not susceptible to emotional bribery. (laughs) I love that. Writing that down. Yes. (laughs) And then the fourth layer, I know you'll like this one. It's actually public accountability. Um, So in sports, you know, you're accountable to your fans, but we don't really have a lot of opportunities for public accountability in our life. So it's kind of up to us to create those possibilities. Yeah. I mean, I've had this experience. We tend to just quietly bury the bodies of our failures, don't we? (laughs) And I did that with my tech startup, right? When we closed, there was, you know, we hear there's so much fanfare when you open something and you start something. And then when you close it down and you fail, you just sort of quietly bury the body. Mm Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example of how we did this recently. We hosted uh, the the first annual Lifehack Summit. And this was a big, big project. We were going to have 25 super high-level speakers, thousands and thousands of participants. And that that really puts you on the hook to deliver it when you tell everybody, this is when it's going to go live. It's going to be on this date. There's going to be these people here. And they're really expecting that. And so we love to create those opportunities for public declarations, like on Facebook, you know, to your friend group, to your office, to your clients. Because listen, when you tell your clients they can count on you for your new product to come out or your new website to launch, that really helps put you on the hook. Absolutely. Like Domino's Pizza. If you don't get it in time, it's free. Yeah. So here's an interesting question, because episode 61, I, I interviewed... A woman named Jamie Farrago, who's a fan of the book, and she talked to us at the end of the episode about how for her declaring goals publicly does not work. That's just not her natural personality style. She's the type of person who would rather keep it to herself and then show everybody how she succeeded. What have you found with all the people that you've worked with? Do you ever see this coming out? Yeah, we've actually had an experience too of people who it's just not possible because of the nature of their work to make it public. Right. Um, People who work for defense contractors, for example, who we've worked with. Um, And so that's why we said you want to have at least two of these four layers. Mm. But I've seen people get incredible results with one of these four, with one of the four layers. And that's remarkable because when you add these layers, you find that the more layers you add, it's not one plus one equals two. It really is one plus one plus one, you know, equals six. Right. It really adds this 
the mention of mutually reinforcing layers of accountability. I think some people, too, can feel uncomfortable with the idea of having this sort of accountability. And sure, that that could be that they're successful despite and they don't necessarily need all four layers. But I would also challenge those people to ask themselves, are they uncomfortable with it because it pushes them outside their comfort zone? Yeah. And if it is pushing them outside that comfort zone, that could that could mean it's a really good thing for them to have in their life. Mm-hmm. Just to quickly wrap up these, right? And and think about this while I'm while I'm sort of reviewing these layers. Just think about like the last time in your life when you didn't just do something great, but you achieved a level of performance or achievement that was way beyond what you expected that you could do. Ask yourself, did you have a bar raiser in your life, a coach, a boss, a mentor, a leader of some sort, somebody who elevated the expectation? Were you part of a social scene, a team, uh, a group where you were all pushing mutually towards the same goal? Was there somebody, whether it was informal or formal, who you were sort of tied together with in that experience, right? Was there a buddy that you had who you got that through that experience with? And was there some sort of public accountability so that if you didn't achieve it, you actually face some kind of social, uh, some kind of social impact, right? Some kind of real impact, whether it's monetary or social or otherwise. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have so many, so many situations where I exceeded my expectations in terms of performance, I had at least three of them there. No question. Absolutely. I, I'm curious on the buddy one. One of the, the, the blessings of being in business with Gary Keller and Jay Papazan has been um, the models and the systems that they already have when it comes to how do, you, how do you be a great business owner. One of the things they've modeled for me is what it looks like to set expectations proactively. What does it look like to set expectations if you want to find a buddy, find an accountability partner, if you will. Because oftentimes I see people, they get into it, they're all excited about it, but about two weeks in, the novelty wears off, they realize that this is actually hard, and then you just drop. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I think uh, I think first of all, like you said, it's about planning ahead and setting those expectations ahead of time. You want to make it a must, not a should in your life. So the second you can commit to making it something that you will do every week, rain or shine, then that's almost like the main thing you need to commit to first. Yeah. So a lot of times if you if you use the personal training model, the best thing for two people to do who are gym buddies is not have each other's phone number or, or at least commit to not calling each other. Because when you have each other's phone number, it really makes it possible for you to call them up and say, hey, buddy, I can't make it. Sorry, let's reschedule or whatever. But if you know that come rain or shine, that guy's going to be there at 7 p.m. or 7 a.m., whenever it is, and they're going to be waiting for you, and and, and you're either going to be there or you're not, you will go through miracles. Right? You will actually you know, move mountains to show up there and be there for that person. Yeah. You also really, you want to make it as easy as possible on yourself to do these accountability calls. Like you said, like if people realize it's actually hard. I would actually encourage them to structure it in such a way that it's not hard, that it's only takes them five minutes, for mm-hmm. example, and that you always follow the exact same list of questions that you ask each other so that you know exactly what's going to happen on each call. And like we said, a lot of times, you know, you don't want to get on the call maybe because you haven't delivered on the results that you were, that you said you would, Yep. but a good accountability buddy is actually, they're not going to make you feel bad about that, but they're also going to help you prepare better for the next week so that you don't get those same results. Absolutely. 
Mm. Okay, I, I, I'm loving this. And Demir, what you said about not having each other's phone numbers, I imagine the waking up, oh, I feel so tired, text him, not going to make it today, buddy. But no, if you don't have their phone number, you're getting out of bed and you're going to the gym. And you're going to feel fantastic about it. That's the funny thing. We see the paradox of choice just ruining modern life, right? I mean, you could see it everywhere. Uh, we've moved from a paradigm where it's not that we don't have enough information. We now have too much information. It's not that we can't communicate with people. We have too many avenues for communication. It's not that you can't get accountability. You have so many ways to sabotage that accountability. And so a lot of what we do in our course is that we actually design, intentionally design in a way where people are just experiencing it and they don't have to design it for themselves. We've created a model where people can actually just sort of jump into that roller coaster ride and take it, and all of the structures are there and the rules are set for the game. But the truth is you can build this in your own life. You should be very, very intentional about it. What I love about everything that you've said so far is, is you're talking through the language of achievement the language of results, talking about accountability as this thing that you should be seeking. And it's not even a, a nice to have. It's a must. It's a positive thing in your world. And like you said, when you look at people who have achieved extraordinary results in their life, at least two of these things are involved. So how would you suggest people get into action in terms of converting their knowledge into action? How about them apples? <laughs> nice. Well, I would say for anyone listening right this second, right this second, just take a piece of paper or get your phone out or whatever and brainstorm a list of people who you respect who might benefit from being in a buddy relationship with you. This is a great place to start. You could also put out a call on you know, your social media or Facebook or whatever. See if there's any uh, teams out there of people that you could just plug yourself into and start leveraging accountability that way. But the key here right now is if you're listening to this, take an action right away. Yep. Please do not take an action five minutes from now or put it on your to-do list for tomorrow. This is the time. Start brainstorming that list right away. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is take an action today that commits you to an outcome tomorrow. So that's why when people commit to a course, they know they're going to take it because they put the credit card forward and they've actually put a huge amount of money down. But even in a non-monetary example, when people will say, make a huge declaration on Facebook, and they know that, that there's a sort of date that they have to live up to, like when we announced our summit, then there's different ways that you could create that kind of accountability, both publicly or through putting skin in the game um, or by having somebody in your life, like a buddy, who you really respect. And all I would say about the buddy thing, I love people taking action, but just really think before you commit to a buddy who has some kind of emotional bribery on you or you have it on them and try to choose a buddy if you do, that is somebody who you would be loath to cancel on. You'd be loath to make excuses to. And that's usually the person you really want to be your buddy. Mm, I love it. Well, Demir and Carrie, thank you so much for the time and for sharing your journey with us. I'm curious if people want to learn more about you and what you guys do, where can they go? Great. So we are here to help people unlock 100% their God-given talents. So they start actually getting the most important things done in their life. Um, so with that said, if you're the kind of person who's already successful, but you just know that there's more in the gas tank, or you're just sick of sabotaging your success with your bad work habits, then definitely head over to lifehackbootcamp.com forward slash one thing. And we've got a ton of free information and downloadable tools that you're going to be able to get on that page um, just for the One Thing podcast audience. Yeah, so that's lifehackbootcamp.com forward slash 
one thing you can put it in number one thing or one thing they'll both take you to the same place awesome guys well thank you very much for the time and look forward to seeing you guys when you're here in austin awesome see you soon jeff well there you have it my conversation with demir and carrie bentley folks we hope that you've enjoyed this episode i had to feature them because i love their story you know, they were they were fans long before they decided to create a business around this. And, you know, it's unfortunate that their health forced them to take action. However, in this case, it's it's been a blessing for them. My question for you is, out of everything that you heard, what's that thing that's just ringing true for you? That's standing out to you right now, going, you know what? I can do that. Then... How can you begin to weave accountability into your life? Do you have a coach, a mentor, someone who creates an atmosphere of elevated expectations? Do you have the right community, the team of people around you where you're working towards similar goals? Do you have a buddy, someone you can treat as an accountability partner who's not susceptible to emotional bribery, as Demir put it? And can you seek public accountability? As they said, oftentimes the greatest results come when you have at least two of these four layers of accountability. How can you begin to weave them in today? We will share two resources with you um, that could help get you started. The first is the Living Your One Thing community. Folks, we, we literally created the community so that you instantly insert yourself into a team of people who are all reaching toward a similar goal. Enrollment is currently closed. However, you can get on the wait list for when we open the doors later in the year by going to the one thing.com slash membership. Or you can text the word founder to the number 33444 and you'll be put on the wait list. The second is getting a coach. We've, we've talked with some people behind the scenes. We are working on creating a coaching program based on the ideas of the one thing. And we're going to end up doing a test group with a select number of you. So if you would be interested in actually having a one-on-one coach, I have a coach, Gary has a coach, Jay has a coach. Um, if you'd be interested in having a coach, email me, Jeff at the one thing.com and that's with the number one and just put coach in the subject line. That way we know and we can reach out to you. Hopefully this episode has brought value to you. If it has, we hope you'll consider sharing it with somebody who needs to hear it. And if you've not subscribed yet to the show, click that button so all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device. And as always, we really appreciate your time and attention here. We do this because we want to bring value to you so that you can have more clarity about how you want to use your time and the actual control to act in order of priority. So with that, go take action and we look forward to being with you in the next episode. 